Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Today's uh, scripture comes from Galatians 5, where Paul has been talking about the freedom that we have in Christ and how that freedom affects our everyday life in Christ. Starting in verse 16, Peter says the, uh, Paul excuse me, says the following, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Uh, Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, adultery, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warned you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. You may be seated. <coughs> Back in August, uh, many of you know that um, some friends of mine and I went, on, went out to British Columbia, Canada, uh, to mountaineer an 8,300-foot mountain called Mount Albert. And for six days, we climbed up and down the mountain, and we literally started from sea level. Here's the way it worked. We took a water taxi, that's a boat, from our base camp over to where the actual trail started, drove up to a, a, um, a dock, got off on the dock, prayed with each other, and immediately started up on the trail. That's where we started. The first four days going up were pretty grueling. And finally, we made it near the top, and we decided it was time to come back down. And so we had two days to make it down. And you would think, you know, the thought of after going up in pretty grueling conditions, you know, uh, straight up in all kinds of snow and rocks and the whole nine yards, you'd think the thought of going down would be exciting. And it was, actually, the thought of, oh, finally we're going down instead of up. And that was, a, it was an encouraging thought. But I have to tell you, despite the excitement of going down the mountain, it ended up being way harder than we thought, like the rest of the trip did. We went a different way going down the mountain than we did coming up. And the way we went uh, really came to a spot called the Alders. The Alders were an abandoned or old logging trail along the mountain uh, where uh, you could tell they had uh, all kinds of equipment still left around from where they would do logging. The Alders themselves were trees, 
that grew up along the trail. Now, these aren't your average trees. These aren't trees that grow straight up. No, no. These are trees that grow out in zigzaggy ways all in the trail's way. So you can imagine as you're walking on this trail through the alders that you're having to move the alders out of the way. You're having to constantly step over alders with a big pack on your back. And occasionally, you'll try and go under an alder tree, but a tree will get stuck literally right there, and you're stuck trying to go down while your pack is uh, on your back. It was hard. It was really hard to go through the alders. In fact, it was way harder than we anticipated. And you know how long we did this section of the trail? Five hours. And I have to tell you, when I thought that day would be a much greater breeze down the mountain than it was going up the mountain, it was a significant disappointment. A significant loss knowing that we were going through five hours of the alders in what amounted to a battle with trees. You know, the interesting thing about this is that in Galatians 5, Paul is going to talk about a different kind of battle with the alders. He's going to talk about the Christian version of the alders, alders and the unexpected even disappointment that we receive in our battle with our own flesh. Paul is going to talk, in other words, about the battle within as a Christian. And the reality of life is everyone in this room has some kind of internal battle that goes on at different parts of our lives. You may, you may be even encountering that right now. And the question arises, how should we, that is, as Christians, walk through the alders? How is our way of going through the internal struggles within different than anyone else's way of handling? What's different about our walk, in other words? Well, now you've got to remember, Galatians 5, Paul is talking about the Christian life. And specifically, he's talking about how we've been freed in Christ with uh, forgiveness of sin, with his righteousness applied to us, to live in a very different way. And he has kind of two applications that he highlights in Galatians. And the first is the most kind of active application. It goes like this. Because we are free in Christ, we are no longer bound by the law. That is the law of the Old Testament and the applications thereof. And really, you could extend that to even man-made laws. Man-made laws that religious folks come up with that bind us unnecessarily when Christ has given us true freedom. Not only that, Paul has a second application. He's basically saying, look, don't uh, give in to legalism uh, with the misuse of the law. But then the second application is that he says, don't give in to license in verse 13. He talks at length about how uh, we aren't to give the flesh the opportunity uh, of sin by virtue of saying, hey, I'm free. I can do anything I want in Jesus. You know, there's a, there's a saying that William Auden said uh, years ago that we want to avoid as Christians. And it goes like this. William Auden says this. Uh, I, I like to sin. God likes to forgive. 
the world is admirably arranged. Paul is saying, no, no, you don't want to go that way either to this world where you just take advantage of God's forgiveness. So it's not legalism of kind of giving in to the laws, even man-made laws of this world, nor is it license of, hey, you can do anything you want because Jesus forgave you. So we got to ask the question of Paul, what is the way we're supposed to go? Well, that's what Paul tells us in verse 16 of our text when he says, I say, but I say in contrast, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If there is any uh, real phrase in Scripture that sums up the daily business of, of living in Christ, it's the walking metaphor. It is all throughout Scripture, this language is just walking. You're walking in life with Christ. It is, in fact, really a metaphor that really shows us a few things about the Christian life. And the first thing is it shows us is that it shows us there's movement in the Christian life. When you're walking, there's progress, like you're going somewhere. Walking means also not only progress, but choices. If you've ever gone on a walk, you have to choose. Which way am I going to go? This road, that road, this way, that way, this trail, that trail. Following Jesus means you follow on a road with him. Jesus himself said this, hey, if you're going to follow me on a road, it'll be a narrow road, a difficult road, a difficult road that not many people travel and is not popular. He also says there is a broad road that most people go on that is easier. And it doesn't cost as much of you. But Jesus talks about roads as well in a very personal way. He says, look, when you follow me, you need to understand I am the way. I don't just show you how to live. I am your life. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and life... That word, the way, is the same word they use for road or trail, what you're walking on. Jesus is saying, you've got to go through me to know God. You've got to go through me in living relationship to engage him. Paul is saying in our text, we are to walk. But not only that, Paul is saying something more. He tells us that we are to walk by the Spirit. This is how we should walk, that is, in relationship with the Holy Spirit. So, we could say following Jesus is walking through Jesus as the way, in relationship with Him, and in the Spirit, by the Spirit. That's what he's saying in our text. And Paul expands on this throughout the whole text. If you maybe listened while I was reading, you, you heard there were several other times Paul talks about the Holy Spirit. He says, be led by the Spirit in verse 18. Bear the fruit of the Spirit in verse 22. Live by the Spirit in verse 25. And walk by the Spirit yet again, he says that in verse 25. In other words, the Holy Spirit is prominent in this text. And that's because Paul is saying, look, if you're going to follow Jesus, you can't walk without the Holy Spirit living within and empowering you to go forward. In fact, we need the person of the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. We even need the pointing of the Holy Spirit 
to lead us in our walk with Christ. For example, in the person of the Holy Spirit, we're not meant to live this life as Christians by trying hard without Christ's power and the Holy Spirit empowering us within. We're meant to be in relationship with the Holy Spirit, just like you would with any other person. God the Spirit is a person, not an it. And we are meant to be in relationship with Him. We Americans, however, uh, really have a struggle with this. And that's because we, by nature, are can-do people. We have can-do spirituality that creates problems for us. We tend to say, tell me what to do to God, and then we go out and try and do it independently of Him. But the truth of the law, the truth of anything we try and do for God, even in this life, is useless, is foolish even, without the power of the Holy Spirit working within us. We need to be tamed in our hearts before we can actually carry out God's commands. We need to be tamed in our souls before we can actually love God with any real integrity. Therefore, the Holy Spirit gives us power, and I might even add direction, on where we should go as He speaks through the Word to us. You cannot follow Christ in any other way or in any degree of success without the Holy Spirit. That is a basic fact of Scripture that Paul is trying to drive home. You can't even resist sin. You can't resist the desires of your flesh without the Holy Spirit. And this truth is contrary to the movie Invictus. You ever seen the movie Invictus? It's about uh, a uniting of South Africa back in the 90s around its rugby team. And the movie quotes Nelson Mandela over and over again saying, I am the captain of my fate. I am the master of my soul. You know what Christianity says? No, you're not. No, you're not. You can't control your soul because sin haunts us. You and I need the Holy Spirit to empower and tame us so that we might engage God and live a life that is rich and abundant. Why would Paul drive this home that we should walk by the Spirit? Well, look at verse 17. He tells us why when he says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you, you uh, want to do. Peter, excuse me, Paul contrasts two things here, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the Spirit. Flesh being our old sinful nature, that latent bent to go our own way away from God. The Spirit fills us and brings the Holy Spirit uh, within, lives within us. That's God's presence within us so that we might have the power to resist and to even thrive for Christ in, li- in the face of the flesh. We're going to talk about this more next week when we get back into Romans 7, but Christianity clearly says that the core issue of the human condition is not merely our behaviors. The core issue is the desires of our hearts. 
We struggle with life from the inside out, not the outside in. When we become a Christian, God puts new desires in our hearts, but the old desires of the flesh push back and fight back. And the result is something like a war within our souls. You've heard of the war in Iraq. You've heard of the war in Afghanistan. We even celebrate men who have courageously fought in wars in, in World War II and, and even Vietnam and Korea. We even talk about openly as evangelicals culture wars that are going on today. But you want to know where the real battle line for war is in every human being in every culture? It's in the human heart. And that is especially true for the Christian who finds themselves at war. The reality is that we walk into the Christian faith very often thinking the Christian life is going to be that easy downhill walk where things will want, finally get easier. Of course, that was one of my assumptions becoming a Christian when I was a new one. We think that as, we, as we're becoming Christians, we're getting better and better every day in every way that we're actually walking through heather-covered hills with the hills of the lie, uh, with the sound of music going, you know? I mean, that's what we think the Christian life is intended to be. When in point of fact, it's a war. In fact, I would suggest to you that the hard part about being in a relationship with Christ is sometimes it is a disappointment. Let's just be honest. Following Jesus can be a disappointment. And I want to be clear. The disappointment comes less, or far less, and really not, from that God doesn't come through with His promises and His abilities. The disappointments come from within us and our expectations of what God will do for us and what the Christian life is supposed to be. What we have to come to grips with is that Paul is telling us Christianity is a war. And it's a war in your soul. The flesh and the spirit are fighting within you. And we have to come to grips with that fact. It is a forgotten reality. We daily walk through the alders. And we keep hoping that it's going to be an easy road at some point. What is our hope from here? Our hope comes from verse 18 of our text. Paul tells us, if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Here he's saying basically, hey, if you want to be led by the Spirit of God, if you, God is indeed leading you to abundant life while you walk through the altars of life, you have to come to grips with the leadership of God in your life on a daily basis. Too often... We make a commitment to Christ at some point in our life, a very meaningful one, a very real one, where we get saved, where we are changed and born again. But the real art of the Christian life is not just that first walk down the aisle, but that ongoing getting on your knees before Christ every day and dealing with the war in your soul saying, it is too much for me. I need you to be my warrior. I need you to be my Savior yet again with my impulses, with my rage, if you're a man, with, 
with my longing for security, if you're a woman, I need you to master my heart, Holy Spirit. Reality is, you and I have to come to grips with being led on a daily basis means we submit on a daily basis to Christ. Let me give you an analogy. When we don't submit to Christ, our tendency as religious people is to kind of go to the law, technique. If I just obey these three things, then everything will be okay with God. Paul is saying that is utterly foolish. You will never get away with that. That's what he's been saying in Romans and he says throughout Galatians. What he says is you've got to get back to an intimate relationship with God in the Spirit. Uh, the best analogy I can come up with is this. Uh, when, I was a, uh, when I was a young parent, I, I, I learned something that was very helpful for me that I learned from Josh McDowell. And it's this little phrase. He says this, rules and regulations without relationship leads to rebellion. When you're leading your kids and you offer and you don't, you're not a part of their lives, you're too busy at work, and then you show up in their lives and you command them to do something because I'm your parent, you bet, you can bet that will be um, a setup for rebellion. But if you are engaged with your wife and kids, if you're engaged with people you know, and you call them to act out of that relationship you have, that give and take love, you can watch people respond in willing ways. Rules and regulation without relationships lead to rebellion. That's true for us. If we aren't responding to the relationship that God is initiating towards us in the power of the Spirit, we will rebel. We will turn away from God. Even as Christians, we will wander. Folks, our call is to receive the grace of God on a daily basis, getting into His Word and listening to Him praying and seeking him and longing for him first and foremost before we long for the goodies from him. You see, Paul knew in our text that the Galatians were becoming religious activists. And so he said, hey, go to the Spirit and be led by the Spirit. Stop being led by your religious impulses. Go to your true spirit-led impulses that are grounded in the Word of God and of prayer. That brings us to an important question then. How can we know that we or someone else is working out of the desires of the flesh or they are working out of the desires of the Spirit? Well, Paul lays it out plainly in two competing lists in our text. Look at this list. It's really one painful list and one beautiful list. Look at this. The works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. Whew, that's an ugly list. But then he contrasts it and says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He says, Against these things there is no law. See the contrasting lists here? One way is, is the way of the flesh, the other is the way of the Spirit. And what he's saying is this, desires of the flesh show up in how we live. Desires that come from the Holy Spirit show up in how we live. So you want to know where people are working from, the flesh or the Holy Spirit? You can be a fruit inspector. But I'll warn you, 
And as much as we might be fruit inspectors, even appraising people, you better believe God's appraising us and others might be appraising us as well. That's a real important question for us. Where are you living? Which list are you working towards? Are you walking towards? Are you walking towards the fruit of the Spirit and growing in those? Or are you walking more and more towards the flesh and the works of the flesh? Where you are going tells you what your God is. Paul is telling us in such clear terms that our actions reveal our values and our beliefs. Do you know what people want? Do you know what you want? Look at what you're doing in life. That'll tell you everything. We don't have time to highlight all of these words in the list, but I'll summarize them real quickly. The works of the flesh are things like sexual immorality. The word is the Greek word is porneia, where we get the word pornography. Sins like these are individual sins where they fill our empty our attempts to fill our empty hearts where only the Holy Spirit can fill us. Things like idolatry or false worship where we try to control God when really the intent of Christianity is the Holy Spirit tames us. Things like enmity and strife are the breaking of personal relationships to get what we want. Whereas the Holy Spirit heals relationships so we give up what we want and give up our rights, even our good rights, for the good of another. Things like rivalries and dissensions are community sins where tribalism of our of our people against their people takes over. Whereas the Holy Spirit brings us together in harmony and unity. Things like drunkenness and envy are sins of indulgence, where we try to take from others to feel better about ourselves, whereas the Holy Spirit, when He works within us, changes us to givers with generosity. All of these sins are the base impulses of our brokenness. In fact, those who are controlled by the flesh are a lot like my dog, Chase. Some of you have met Chase. He's a border collie or an English shepherd or something like that. And Chase really doesn't like squirrels. In fact, we have this big sliding glass door on our back of our house where you can see in the backyard and you can see all the trees very clearly. And when there are squirrels in the trees, Chase freaks out. He goes nuts. He's barking. He's jumping around. If And I admit, we do this. This is not good. Do not do this with your dog, okay? But for fun, we'll open the door. <laughs> and he just takes off as fast as you can imagine and goes out and just barks at him up in the trees. Chase is an animal who feeds on impulse. That's really what our animal instincts are when we're left to our own devices in our flesh. We act on impulse rather than love, rationality, rather than humanness as it was meant to be lived, even in holiness. 
Paul says something really radical in this text about those who give in to their impulses. I, wa- I warned you as I warned before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. What is he saying? He's saying if you practice some of these things, particularly the works of the flesh, if you live in a settled life of not uh, yielding to Christ in the Spirit, but also overriding any conscience to do the animal instinct, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Is Paul saying that you can lose your salvation? No, no, he's not saying that. He's saying you can tell people who don't know Christ and never knew Christ by virtue of their actions. Paul says there is a different way, even through the alders, even in suffering and hardship, even in good times and bad times, and it is the fruit of the Spirit. And did you notice in our text in verse 22, it's the singular fruit of the Spirit. Meaning, all of these are clusters that go in one group. They go together. They're tied together. A whole series of sermons could be preached on the fruit of the Spirit. We don't have time to go there. But what I can tell you is that the primary fruit, the leading fruit, is love. Love defined by God and His Word, not the world. Love which is giving, sacrificial, looking out for others' needs above the self, looking out for God's reputation supremely. That's love. This is what life in the Spirit is meant to look like, a life of love. Even in freedom, we're meant to live in love. This is what life in the Spirit looks like even when you can be in the battle of the alders coming right at you. The key question for us today is simply this. What does your life reflect right now? A life of flesh or a life in the Spirit? Another way of putting this is, what are you walking from and what are you walking to? If you're walking from anything that is beautiful and glorious towards a life of the flesh, I have to tell you, Paul goes on to warn not only of eternal consequences, but really of the dark consequences that can happen in this life. Holiness is actually good for us. It's good for our bodies and our souls. Ungodliness, on the other hand, is dangerous. Dangerous for our souls. You see, the Christian life is a lot like Gene Peterson says. He says uh, one time he was walking through the woods in Canada, ironically, I read this this week, with his kids on a trail. And as they were walking through, they saw a grizzly bear. And believe me, we had that thought while we were in Canada walking around, well, we see a grizzly bear. Well, in his case, they actually saw one, a big one. And they quietly looked at it from a distance. It was a simultaneously glorious and scary sight. And as Peterson and his daughter walked away real quietly from that place, uh, his daughter said this interesting thing. She said, well, God answered two prayers today. We got to see an amazing bear, and he didn't see us. (laughs) Folks, when we read a list of sins like this in Scripture... I'll tell you what the impulse is. It was in me this week. I felt it. Our impulse is, I don't struggle with that. It's not an issue. Not an issue. Man, I'm glad I don't do that stuff. 
When the reality is all of this is in us. That's what Christianity says. Without Christ, this is in us and it takes maybe shiny forms, but it's in us. Indeed, instead of us looking at those who even struggle with this and say, well, I'm glad I'm not like that guy. The Christian faith says something a lot in the spirit of this girl in her prayer. Uh, There but the grace of God go I. That's the way we look at those who struggle with sin because we ourselves are sinners who could easily go there were it not for the power of the Spirit restraining us. That should lead us to worship. To worship God that you have restrained me from going to darker places than I know I could have gone. Just look at your own story. Think of where you came from and where you've been. Even the temptations you faced and yes, even the dark things you've done. And how you could have gone so much further were it not for God's grace in your life. It wasn't you stopping you. It was God and His grace stopping you. And calling you to listen to Him yet again. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? The way to be filled with the Spirit is to call on Christ as your only Lord and Savior. If you're not a believer today, that's what you do. If you're tired of wrestling inside, call on a Christ who can master your soul because you will never, ever get it done. Believe me, I tried. That leaves us a question for those of us who are Christians, though. What does this have to do with us? What does a life in the Spirit look like? Well, look at verse 24 of our text. It says this, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit, and let us not become conceited, provoking one another or envying one another. Life in the Spirit means we follow the leader. We follow the leader. Who is the leader? It's Christ. As our Lord and Savior, we follow Him and do what He says. And what does that look like? Well, let's think. How did Jesus lead? Well, He lived a holy life. Perfectly holy, never sinned. Okay, that's going to be tough for us to accomplish. We've already blown that one. We need His righteousness. Okay, you're covered in the righteousness of Christ. What else did Jesus do? Jesus died and was resurrected. That means I have to follow him in death. And what do you know? Verse 24 tells us we have to get in a rhythm of life that is crucifixion. We have crucified is the language. It's that perfect tense. It says it started someplace in the past and it's still going. Where we die to self, pick up our cross and follow Jesus. This is the rhythm of the Christian, the first key rhythm that you find here in this text that we live, we die with Christ. And I have to tell you, this past week, I experienced this very issue in my own life. Uh, I faced, uh, the last few months, we've been making some big decisions for Redeemer, some good constructive decisions, I might add. But it's been a process working in teams, working with one another, and wrestling through different issues. But I have to tell you, there are times where I got tired of working in teams. Where I just wanted to take control and say, we're going to do it this way. I'm a senior pastor. I say it, it's going to happen. 
I'm not serious. I have felt that multiple times. I will say that there are times that I have not handled that very well. I haven't actually said that, but I've been wrestling in my heart with it. But there are also many other times where I remembered what Jesus taught me. That the superior way, especially in community of church, is to give up my rights and actually labor together and wait on the Lord to work in key decisions that really should be made in a group effort. And I'm pleased to say that God has blessed as a result of that in some really cool ways. He tamed my heart in the power of the Spirit by remembering I need to humble myself and submit. And that does not come naturally for me. It really doesn't. That is a work of the Holy Spirit. That is not me in my normal way. Today, Jesus is calling us to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow Jesus. Not only that, Verse 25, he says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. See that word walk there? It is not the same word that you find in verse 16. The word walk here is the language of keeping in step. Those of you who are in the military know exactly what I'm talking about. Remember when you were in the military and you had to learn to march? And you did it for days and weeks on end. Left, 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 right, left. Remember that? That's what it's talking about. He's saying, keep with the cadence of Christ in the power of the Spirit and His Word. As you walk through this life, in every struggle, you call on the Holy Spirit and you listen to His Word and you keep pace with what the Lord wants you to do. That's what He's calling us to in this text. Follow the Holy Spirit in His cadence. Final application comes in verse 26, or 25, excuse me, 26. He says, let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Why would he say that? What's that got to do with anything? We've already heard some profound thoughts about the Spirit, and he just kind of throws us in. You're like, what's that? Well, here's the deal. In the early churches, we learned back in verse 15 in Galatia, they were struggling with relationships. They were struggling with relationships. They were provoking one another. Community was not going well because the legalists were condemning each other and everybody else. The licentious ones were saying, lighten up, man. You're too uptight. But Paul was saying, no, we all must follow the Spirit and go the unique way of loving because Jesus has filled us with the Spirit together. We are called to this unique life. And that's what's different about the Christian walk. We walk in the Spirit. We walk through internal battles, even the alders, in a world that will resist us. We walk because we have the power of God and the presence of God living within us. That is really different than what the world's solutions are. We can grow from the inside out not the outside in. And that is our hope as Christians and as followers of Jesus. In conclusion, we're back on the mountain of Mount Albert in August, and um, we actually walked up a snow ridge, up a snow uh, hill, like really steep, 
and went up to, tried to get to the peak of this mountain. And you got to wonder, how do you walk up a steep, steep mountain that has snow on the side? How do you do that? Do you just start walking up or traverse it or whatever? No, no, I'll tell you how. What you do is as a team of people, you tie a rope to each other. And as you tie that rope to each other, you're in charge of keeping each other from falling. And there are ways to handle that. But then there's always a leader. And you know what the leader does to go up a mountain of snow? He takes his foot and he goes in the snow and makes a step. Takes his other foot, goes in the snow, makes another step. And he keeps doing that all the way up the mountain. And what does everybody else behind him do? We walk in the same steps. Same exact place, right where his feet went. That's what we do together in a single file with a rope tied to each other. This is a picture of how we are to labor together as a people. This is a picture of how we are to do community with one another in the power of the Spirit. This is a picture of how Christ has brought us together and called us to something very different in love rather than license and legalism. Jesus calls us today, keep in step with the Spirit. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and pray today that you would help us to keep in step with the Spirit, to listen to your word. We pray today that as we come to the Lord's Supper, you would awaken our hearts and we'd experience your Spirit and we'd be changed because you met us here. We pray this through the power of the Spirit and with the hope that comes in Christ. Amen. Let us stand and respond to a God who is pure holiness and lets us, the struggler, come in so as Dean says, he can change us from the end. His mercy and